Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Again, everybody, it is the Blue Gold Report, and everybody who looks forward to the podcast every week on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, I would give you a heads up. We we apologize. Uh, we took a week off. It's a little bit of a downtime in uh, Notre Dame sports, in case you hadn't noticed. So uh, we we deserve a day off every once in a while too. So Todd and I are back, though. Excited to be here. Uh, Blue Gold uh, Report podcast is brought to you by Dio McComb and Sons Funeral Homes, and as always, share us. Rate us. The more you rate us, the more you like us, the more people get to listen to the Blue Gold Podcast. We've got uh, a great guest in store for you. We're going to talk to Lisa Kelly. She's authored two books on really what the experience is like for a, for a football player, Notre Dame student athlete on campus. Uh, they're called Echoes from the End Zone, The Men We Became, and More Echoes from the End Zone. We'll talk to her and uh, try to just kind of experience what it's like uh, to be on campus there and get some great insight from her her uh and uh you know we, we've got a little bit of uh notre dame football to talk about as well uh, we're actually gonna we're gonna hit the the top five storylines that are heading into the 2018 seasons how we feel uh things are gonna pan out and what the top stories we'll be hearing throughout the season or even leading up to the season will be i'm mike rags uh, i'm happy to be your co-host uh my partner here is your uh lead writer for notre dame sports and blue gold illustrated and knows all things notre dame let's bring him in right now todd are you refreshed and ready to go with our new episode of blue gold report I am rags. Yeah, I, I kind of missed doing it last weekend, but uh, it gives us more. It gives us a lot more oomph this time around. Yes, looking forward to talking to Lisa Kelly in a little bit and going over the top storylines heading into the 18 season. But we always start every episode with some blue gold nuggets. What do you got for us? Yeah, got a six pack rags. That's what happens when you take a week off. Your blue gold nuggets stack up a little bit for you. Um, let's start with football. Auburn fullback. Keenan Sweeney, a six foot, two hundred thirty seven pounder, he announced that he is going to spend his graduate transfer season here at Notre Dame. Um, he he actually earned a scholarship. He started at Auburn as a walk on, then earned a scholarship there. Played in six games last season, three three the year before. Um, this dude's smart. He's smart as a whip, and that's why he wants to come to Notre Dame. He's academic top tiger, so in other words, the best student on the team. He's coming here to study global health. Um, so a little bit of a legacy here. His father, John Sweeney, played fullback here at Notre Dame and blocked for Vegas Ferguson during that single season, rushing season. Uh, and Grandpa Jim played here as well in the 40s. He was a walk-on. Speaking of grad transfers, former Notre Dame defensive back Nick Watkins. He is visiting West Virginia this weekend. He's originally from Texas, so he's kind of eyeballing Big 12 schools or local schools. He's also considering SMU. Houston and TCU. He'll graduate from Notre Dame this weekend. This is commencement weekend here on campus. Hopes to have his decision made by June 1st. Moving on to, where am I here? Lacrosse. The lacrosse season is officially over. They lost 9-7 to to Denver in the first round of the 16-team NCAA tournament here on campus. Uh, it was kind of interesting because it's the first time that Notre Dame had been bounced in the opening round of this thing since 2009. Pretty impressive run there that came to an end. Ironically, Denver has now beaten Notre Dame and two, knocked Notre Dame out of the NCAA tournament in two straight seasons and three out of the last four. So that season is or 
Finance records, this is courtesy of the Indianapolis Star. The finance records were released from the coaching salaries and those types of things this week. Uh, I thought what was most interesting is Brian Van Gorder, the former Notre Dame defensive coordinator who was fired four games into the 2016 season. Uh, He received a buyout of about $257,000, so about a quarter mil uh, after that 1-3 and start in 2016. Uh, He made $1.195 million for that particular year. Uh, BK, Brian Kelly, $2.1 million, which was up from 2015 when he made $1.6 million. Jax Warbrick, his salary slid a little bit. He made $1.6 million in 2016, and that was down from $3.1 million in 2015. Mike Bray checked in at $2.4 million, and Muffet McGraw at $1.7 million. So it's very convoluted. It's very hard to follow when you try to read through these stories because there's so many ways these guys get paid, you know, through well, just I, incentives and other different things. And I normally don't cut off your nuggets, but I found it fine. interesting, the buyout for Brian Van Gordon. That was a huge story, too, and how much they had to pay him just to say, you know, you're not a very good coach. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and I guess another thing of note, this is the first time in a very, very long time that the name Charlie Weiss didn't appear on this particular document. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on to women's basketball, what they're going to do here locally is they're going to take away, take around the NCAA championship trophy. They're calling it Traveling Trophy Thursdays. It began this week. They went to the South Bend Chocolate Factory. Folks can can follow it around. You can find more information on it on the Notre Dame website. Though, again, they'll be making different stops. Next week, it's at Meyer here locally, and you can get your picture taken with the trophy, and some of the assistant coaches are going to travel around as well. Hockey, a couple former Irish players are playing in the 2018 World Championships. This is part of the International Ice Hockey Federation, and it's in Copenhagen, Denmark. There's seven games into this particular event. Anders Lee has three goals and 17 shots, playing for Team USA. And Peter Schneider, playing for Austria, has one goal and 10 shots. Like I said, they're about seven games into this thing. Kind of a lengthy tournament. And finally, I had to bring this up, Rags. This is kind of old news now, but Orike Ogunbowale. She was eliminated. This is probably the last time her name comes up for quite a while, and I finally (laughs) got it right. Uh, She was eliminated in the second round of Dancing with the Stars. She did a nice foxtrot. I actually happened to watch that on YouTube, and she was actually voted one of the better dancers in round two, but she was kind of dragged down by her first-round scores. I think they kind of combined the thing. It was kind of confusing. But she and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar were kicked off the show. Those are your blue gold nuggets. Well, and there's an extra one, too, that came along early this morning, or yesterday uh, morning. Uh, Purdue announced its men's basketball non-conference schedule, and on that... uh, the schedule, Notre Dame Fighting Irish will play them in the uh, Crosstown Classic, the Crossroads Classic down at the Bankers Life Fieldhouse. That game will be December 15th, that very same day, of course, how they do it. Indiana will play Butler this year. So this year, the Boilermakers will play uh, Notre Dame in the Crossroads Classic, which is kind of cool stuff. I mean, with only four teams always involved, you're, you know... It's not really newsworthy. I still wish they would get, you know, Ball State down there and Valpo and really make it a thing. But, you know, you got to crawl before you can walk. I also saw, uh, Todd, that the University of Notre Dame received 13 NCAA Academic Progress Rate uh, Public Recognition Awards. Uh, That's the APR, they call it in the industry. That means, uh, you know, that's the progress of student-athlete retention. uh, Along with your, you know, the program, you're also getting these kids to graduate and all these things. Uh, It came in second. 
Uh, six men's sports, seven women's sports. Uh, among them, of course, the fencing and the women's basketball team because they both won national championships. That does help. Uh, any uh, Now, they've been number one in the past in this award, uh, getting as high as 17 total APR reports. Uh, do you know who number one would be? They're 13 at number two. If you had to guess who number one would be. Stanford. You got it. Stanford two, Boston College and Northwestern tied at number three. Duke would be five. Uh, Michigan, actually, and North Carolina tied with 10 each at number six. So uh, big standards means big rewards like this. So that's a pretty cool award I saw came across my desk. I wanted to bring it up. So we actually had seven nuggets, a seven-pack. This could be the largest (laughs) blue-gold nugget uh, we've ever had. Uh, But uh, nonetheless, all very, very important, including Arike Ogunbowale. And most importantly, you said her name without hesitating. I'm impressed. How about that? Yeah, finally, right? All right. Well, we wanted to kind of, you know, uh, kind of a downtime right now, obviously, for most sports. And as we head to, towards June, uh, things will start heating up come July, August, and summer camp and all that kind of fun stuff. But we wanted to kind of look at the top five storylines for Notre Dame football heading into camp and the upcoming season ahead. Uh, Todd, uh, you, you know, want to get things started. And, and these are really not in any particular order, um, but the, your number one that you had on the list that we did discuss and, and it was one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is BK finally winning some big games and I would almost venture to say hashtag is this a make or break year for Brian Kelly I wouldn't go that far rags I don't think so and I think they're going to have a pretty good year let's hope so now if, if things fall apart like it did in 2016 maybe that maybe I'm singing a different tune but the one thing that's really plagued Brian Kelly since he's been here is his inability to win big games. As a matter of fact, on the road especially, he's only 2-10 and 10 in road games against top 20 teams, and that included 0-2 last year uh, with Miami, uh, at Miami, and then at Stanford. So when you kind of scroll up the schedule, you're looking for those road games against possibly premier teams, and two of them jump out at you at USC to finish the regular season. That's potentially a top-five preseason team right there, so you assume they'll probably be in the top 20 when that game comes. And then Virginia Tech, they're kind of hovering around when you look at the very early preseason polls. Virginia Tech's kind of hovering around that 20 range as well, so a team to keep an eye on there. That's that's in Blacksburg there. Um, so those are the games that Brian Kelly has to start winning. Those are ones that really separate an average coach from the great coaches, and, and so far Kelly has been unable to do it. Looking at some home games, so obviously these don't pretend to, pertain to that 2-10 and 10 record, but Michigan, a, a potential top 25 team to start the season, probably will be. Florida State, they're showing up at a lot of top 10 preseason rankings. And then Stanford, although most people have them in the 30s at this point, certainly by the time that game comes around, you'd kind of have to assume that Stanford will be there. So for me, it's time for Brian Kelly to start winning these big games because that's the only way you're going to get playoff consideration, Rags. No doubt about it. Now, story number two seems to be a broken record for year after year after year, especially with me. And then we talk about the development of Brandon Wimbush at quarterback. And, you know, you even have to put Brandon Wimbush's name. It's like development of blank at quarterback this year. And that and that seems to be the standard theme for Brian Kelly. Uh, Look, for all counts and purposes, we've heard nothing but great things. and, And he's a solid first number one starter as of today, right now, as we record this podcast. Uh, but general consensus, and most fans will probably tell you, that won't stand throughout the entire year. And obviously, Wimbush has got some things to work on, mainly accuracy more than anything else. Yeah. Um, but the development of Wimbush is definitely one of the top storylines. Oh, yeah, it has to be. I mean, probably the top storyline in a lot of people's uh, minds, for sure. 
you know, barely 50%. That's not good enough when it comes to completion percentage. That has to improve. But I think this is the first time since Brian Kelly's been here, really, that he has the sure starter two years in a row. I mean, think about it. You go all the way back to 2010, Brian Kelly's first year here. Dane Christ was the starter. He got hurt right away, and then Tommy Reese uh, came in the rest of that season. And then Dane Christ again was the starter in 2011 for one half of the first game. If you remember, he was benched in the first game at halftime of the South Florida contest. So right there, right out of the gate, you had instability when it comes to Brian Kelly and quarterbacks. Well, that's only continued through because since Christ in 10 and 11, Brian Kelly has not started the same quarterback on opening day until Wimbush, assuming he starts in 2018. You had Golson in 2012, then Tommy Reese because Golson was suspended in 2013. Back to Golson in 2014, then Malik Zaire in 2015. Deshaun Kaiser took Zaire's job and started in 16. And then again, Wimbush in 17, Wimbush in 18. So I think at least there's a little bit of stability there that we haven't seen much under Brian Kelly, and I think that will help Wimbush. Well, let's hope so, because it's been one of my bugaboos uh, since we've been talking. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to get this off the list of talking points for for a while. Uh, Let's talk about the offense. You know, obviously, uh, another big storyline, along with the running backs, is the emergence of the wide receivers now. You know, St. Brown's gone. Now it's a new crop, new people, uh, big results we're hoping for. So it's really, how are we going to score points here? And the wide receivers are going to have to come through for us. Yeah, kind of a great unknown here, Rags, when you're talking about St. Brown gone and Stefferson gone, Cam Smith, the graduate, he's out of eligibility, he's gone, C.J. Sanders is gone as well. You know, Miles Boykin during spring ball was sort of anointed the alpha male of this group, and rightfully so, coming off his big play against LSU, his game-winning play. And he seems to work hard and has, has really had his head into, into things. And he's a monster. He's a great receiver, but he only has 18 career catches. So we don't know. There's a lot of unknown there. And with it, can he hold up for an entire season? Can he keep his head in the game for an entire season? We'll have to wait and see. Chase Claypool comes back. He is the leading receiver from last year with 29 catches, 359 yards, and two touchdowns. Again, that's the leading returning receiver right there. And those aren't huge numbers by any stretch of the imagination. For a little bit of comparison's sake, when Notre Dame entered the 2017 season, their receivers combined for 22 starts, 22 total starts, 2,000 yards, and 19 TDs. That's what they brought into the 2017 season, coming off 16. This year, coming into 18, the returning group of receivers combined will combine for 10, only 10 starts, 1,066 yards, and 8 TDs. So when you're looking at comparatively, from what you had coming back in 17 versus what you have coming back in 18, obviously there's a glaring discrepancy. Interesting. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, and I love the next uh, uh, t- uh, the biggest story for 2018 because, let's face it, you know, we we record these in Fort Wayne, and we're big Drew Tranquil fans as well. Um, and it airs in Fort Wayne, uh, the Blue Gold Report. He's moved to Rover now. Uh, he's moved Rover. out of Rover now. Yeah. The, 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 who... You know, that gap, is it going to be fillable? Probably not as good as tr- Drew, but who's going to take and, and find that new role and take over? Yeah, this is a this is going to be something to watch because that rover position is so important in this defense, Clark Lee's defense now, which was, was the same as basically the same as what Mike Elko ran last year. Yeah, it's a huge void. It looks like Asmar Bilal is the guy to take over um, that position. 
He, is, he had 18 total tackles last year and 1.5 tackles for loss, so he's going to really have to up his game. Consider what Tranquil did at Rover last year. He finished third on the team in total tackles with 85, second on the team with 10.5 tackles for loss, first with three fumble recoveries. He had a sack and a half and three pass breakups. That position obviously is all over the field and is asked to do a lot, be it cover passing, the backs and passing, tight ends, whatever the case may be. Rush the quarterback, stop the run. You have to do a little bit of everything. It's a very important position. We'll see if Bilal can ha- handle all of that. And also, you know, part of the reason that Tranquil was moved from Rover to Buck linebacker, the Notre Dame coaches kind of had to recruit him to come back for a fifth year. And the part of the reason, part of their selling point, Rags, was, okay, look, if you want to play in the NFL – you, there's no such thing as a yeah. rover. You're going to have to learn the buck linebacker yeah. position, and you're going and you can do it this year and really show your wear. So that's a big part of the reason that he came back for a fifth year. That's going to be one position to watch, probably the biggest one, at least in my opinion, on defense. All right, and wrapping up our five biggest uh, um, um, question marks and, and storylines, really going into 2018 summer and and the season. New coaches. Uh, you got a new defense coordinator. Obviously, big shoes to fill. Uh, and then your old line, Jeff Quinn. So Clark Lee, Jeff Quinn. Uh, good luck, guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking about the two big strengths of last year's team, and really offensive sure. line for the last you know five to ten years. So you've got some huge shoes to fill, to say the least. And that's kind of why I liked these two hires uh, when Mike Elko went to Texas A&M and then Harry Heastan, the offensive line coach, went to the Chicago Bears. I liked that Brian Kelly, he took some heat because he stayed in-house and everybody was like, oh, you got to shake it up, can't go with your good old boys. I kind of liked that he did because these units were so steady, so consistent in many respects. And I think it was important to keep that consistency. And Clark Lee obviously gives you, he's just next man in for Mike Elko. And I think Jeff Quinn, who Brian Kelly, they've, they've worked together forever, going all the way back to Grand Valley State. I think that was a good hire for the offensive line as well. But as you mentioned, huge shoes to fill. Mike Elko considered one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. He's getting the paycheck at Texas, the $3 million paycheck or whatever it is at Texas. A&M to prove it. And then Harry Heastan, just down in his time here, he sent six Irish offensive linemen to the NFL. Four of them were first-rounders. So again, like you said, Rex, big shoes to fill, but I think both of these guys are up to the challenge. And I think another storyline waiting in the wings is Dexter Williams Jr. When What happens to him this season, I think I don't know. For some reason, I just got a I got a feeling here uh, something's going to click, Todd. And I think that's a, a sixth storyline would be uh, who comes out of the running backs. And I just mm-hmm. got a feeling it's going to be him. Yeah, I do too. You know, uh, they're kind of calling him and Alfred Junior, uh, Tony Alfred Junior, the the one A and the one B here. They don't. They're not. Brian Kelly is kind of non-committal on who will get the start. I'm with you. I like the way Williams looked in the spring game. He's lost quite a bit of weight. Um, that's going to make him even more elusive. He's got breakaway speed. He's he's a nifty runner. Again, he just has not been able to stay healthy, Rag. So that's what's going to be important for him, I think, more than anything at this at this stage. All right. Well, uh, Todd was able to get us a good get here as a guest. You can find her on Twitter at Four Leaf Clover. Uh, girl at the four is a, is the number four leaf clover girl. Uh, the uh, the author of a couple of books here you need to get is Echoes from the End Zone: The Men We Became and More Echoes from the End Zone. But Todd's going to take it from here because he he knows Lisa Kelly a little bit better than I did. Tell us about Lisa Todd, esteemed author, Notre Dame graduate, uh, just finished her second book recently, The Men We Became: More Echoes from the End Zone. 
It's a, it's, a, it's a sequel to her first book. Lisa, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Not too bad. I appreciate you taking some time here. I had a chance. We, we sat, Lisa and I sat together for the Georgia game uh, last year and, and chatted it up. We've been following each other on Twitter for about 10 years and we had never met in person, so I had a nice time there. Lisa, let me dive right in here. I just, you know, I, I was reading your story and your background and whatnot. It's pretty interesting because it doesn't sound like becoming an author, especially a football author, was necessarily in your cards as you were kind of moving through your marketing career. It wasn't. It's not like it was one of those, when I grow up, I want to be an author kind of deals. I just sort of fell into it and was blessed to find out I was a pretty good author, and I really enjoyed it. Kind of talk about your roots. What sort of inspired you to try this? Where did you get your start as far as your interest more than anything? Sure. Um, I've always loved to write. Uh, I knew when I was in college, I knew that it didn't matter what I studied in college or what I went on to do. You still needed to be able to communicate. So I was a business major at Notre Dame, but took a lot of English classes just to make sure that I could communicate in the business world. And I started an advertising career. And flash forward to 2009, I lost my job and decided I kind of wanted to build my toolbox to make myself a little more valuable moving forward. And I started this crazy little blog, which (laughs) was kind of a combination of social media, marketing, family life, and then a little sports. Um, And as it went on, it became a little more sports, and then it kind of became all sports. And in 2011, I was invited to participate in a blogging contest to be the biggest fan of the Big East Conference. So it was a men's basketball conference. They selected me to represent Notre Dame, and they flew us to Big East Media Day. We got to interview coaches and players. And then every two weeks, we had a mandatory writing assignment on our blog. And then they flew us all to our alma mater for a game, which was awesome. I was at Notre Dame for the Syracuse game in 2012, which, if you remember, Syracuse was undefeated coming into Notre Dame. They were ranked number one, and we beat them. It was pretty amazing. And through the contest... You know, I got exposed to a lot of media things I had never been exposed to before, and I ended up winning the contest. They took it from 16 contestants to four. It was me and three guys. They evaluated my body of work and chose me as the winner. So on center court at Madison Square Gardens, I got the keys to my brand-new Volvo. Very nice, very nice. That's a heck of a prize right there. It's crazy. Yep. And And you're based out. Oh, go ahead, Lisa. I'm sorry. Sorry. Through the contest, I kind of became aware that the media likes to gravitate to the sensational stories, or you know, you're always going to hear about the guy who got a DUI, got kicked out of college. But there's so many positive stories that can be overlooked, and so that was kind of my mission was to push out all of these great stories of, you know, guys who went to Notre Dame who were smart. They're not a bunch of dumb jocks. They have great experiences at Notre Dame and in the pros, and then they go on to do wonderful things in their careers and in their communities, and so that 
kind of became my passion to spread the good news and let people know that athletes do much more beyond just playing sports. Talking Lisa Kelly, author of The Men We Became, More Echoes and Echoes from the End Zone. Two books for Lisa, to her credit. You led me in a little bit, Lisa. Could you just kind of explain some of the folks you've talked to for these books? Let me kind of, actually, why don't you explain exactly what your outline was, what your mission was when you put these together? Sure. So I picked up the phone one day and called Oscar McBride. He was a tight end who graduated in 94. And I said, hey, I've got this great idea. I want to do a series on my blog called Where Are They Now? And he, you know, he, he was intrigued. And so he was my guinea pig. We sat on the phone for two hours and talked about his experiences at Notre Dame and playing with the Arizona Cardinals and where he is today. And that little story had about 3,000 page views, which I was overwhelmed with. And Rick Meyer was my second guy. He was the quarterback of my class, and his story had 10,000 page views. So. Very quickly, I knew that I wasn't the only person that wanted to hear these positive stories. Uh, we're talking with Lisa Kelly. Lisa, you can find her on Twitter at four the number four Leaf Clover Girl. Uh, so, Lisa, I'm I'm looking here. Is it about forty players or so that you interviewed? Uh, how many players did you get to sit down with overall? I've got twenty five in the first book and thirty in the second, and I'm halfway through book three. So, just it's been incredible to meet, you know, I've met a lot of them in person. I tend to do interviews over the phone travel would just be kind of ridiculous, but it's, it's been incredible. I've met players and coaches and just an incredible amount of people who are doing awesome things out in the world. Lisa, I'm wondering, uh, all these players have you interviewed over all this span of time, is there a common like character trait or thread that's throughout each of these players that you'd be able to recognize that, you know, they all have this in common and maybe that's why it worked at Notre Dame? I think, you know, it's been very interesting because as I was putting the first book together, we definitely saw a trend. Um, Marv Russell, who's in my first book, he's a linebacker. He had already written a book himself, and so he took me under his wing. He was my writing coach. And as he and I worked through all the stories, we did see a common thread, and we kind of coined it the Notre Dame value stream. So basically what we saw was all these men came from very different backgrounds, but going through Notre Dame and learning the value system both in the classroom and on the field that they learned at Notre Dame kind of molded them and shaped them into the men they became. And that's kind of how the book title came to be. Lisa, it's interesting. Rags ask about the similarities, and I was curious about sort of the differences. It's such a wide variety of stories that these guys share with you. That's what, that's what amazed me about the book, uh, just so many different experiences. Which one of the interviews or chapters or players, what, are there a couple, a few that kind of stick out to you that you found to be especially interesting? Well, I don't like to play favorites, of course. I love them all. Um, but I do have a couple go-to chapters that I just tend to gravitate towards. Um, you know, it's really hard to pick. But I would say um, the one I tend to, if when I'm doing speaking engagements, I tend to go toward Pat Fallon 
And a lot of people may not know Pat Fallon. Um, he played wide out. His wife likes to say he was left out because um, <laughs> he didn't get a whole lot of playing time, but he was on the 88 championship team. Um, he has an interesting story. He went to the University of Massachusetts for a year before he transferred to Notre Dame. And he had an incredible experience at Notre Dame because he did ROTC at the same time as playing football. Um, for, you know, what became a national championship team. He went on, he served in the Air Force, um, and then he decided to start a career in politics, which in Texas is, you know, being a Massachusetts guy, and now politics in Texas is totally different than politics in Massachusetts. Um, and the best part of his story is a couple of years ago, uh, some friends of their family had twin boys and one of the boys got sick with cancer and Pat decided he wanted to do something to make a difference in this family's life with the struggles they had. So he's sitting watching ESPN one night and they had the world marathon challenge on and he's like, this is fascinating. I, I want to participate in this. So he asked his wife, would it be okay if he, you know, tried out for this world marathon challenge if he raised money for this little boy, Johnny? And so she said, of course. So he calls, and they only take 15 people a year to do this. And they already had 14, but they had one slot open. So he trained for about three months. Now, Pat was 49, and the longest he had run in 20 years was probably a 5K. So he trained to do this World Marathon Challenge in about three months. They ran seven marathons in seven consecutive days on seven continents. And he raised $77,000 for pediatric cancer. It was incredible. Lisa, I'm sure there's a ton of incredible stories in uh, your two books. The uh, Echoes from the End Zone, The Men We Became, more Echoes from the End Zone. And I know you said you're working on a third. And uh, it, it begs the question for me, since the first one came out about uh, five, six years ago, I wonder, is there a change in the student-athlete from, um, say, 2012 and 2011 to 2018? I don't know if there's a change in the student-athlete. Um You know, I think that there's definitely commonality in the Notre Dame student-athlete. I'm currently reading a book right now by Michael Bennett, who plays for the Seahawks, and his perspective of student-athlete is much different than what I have encountered with student-athletes at Notre Dame, because I feel like Notre Dame does it different. They truly put the student first in the word student-athlete. And I know the NCAA tried to model their concept of the student-athlete after what Hester and Joyce did at Notre Dame, but I don't think the NCAA is there yet. And a lot of these guys feel very slighted in that they don't get an education. You know, Michael Bennett talks about he couldn't. He wanted to become a sociology major, but he couldn't handle the class load with playing football at Texas A&M. So he got a degree in farming. You know, and he was one of the lucky ones who made it in the NFL. If you think about all the guys who go to schools like Texas A&M and get a farming degree and don't make it to the NFL and have nothing to fall back on. 
Like, I think that's the beauty of Notre Dame is they make sure that all of their athletes get an education. So it doesn't matter if you get injured or go on to play in the NFL, you still have an incredible degree to fall back on. Lisa, I'm curious, when you're not writing, I believe if, I'm, if, if this is correct, you're the digital publishing manager there at Nestle Purina Pet Care in St. Louis? Yes, well, I've recently been promoted, so I am now in e-commerce, but I am still at Nestle Purina, so it's uh, fast-moving right now because e-commerce is kind of a new space in selling pet food, so I'm yeah. excited to be, you know, I'm challenged with my writing, and I'm challenged at work, so it's, it's a good time right now. <laughs> Perfect, and uh, you know, I'm, you you try to make every Notre Dame home game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, is that I, challenging? Do. Getting up here from St. Louis, I'm only 400 miles away, so <laughs> it's still I can hop in a car. I know it's crazy. I drive 800 miles on a weekend to go sit in the press box, but there's no nowhere else I would rather be. Well, you have to, uh, you know, upheld your end of the bargain of being the biggest fan. You can't win the award and then walk away, Lisa. I mean, come right? on. Right? It's like, peace out, I'm done, right? <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, a couple more for me, and then we're going to throw some rapid fire at you. I didn't warn you ahead of time of that one, but uh, you know, during your time here at Notre Dame, what? first of all, what did Notre Dame teach you during your four years on campus? I think my biggest lesson at Notre Dame was, well, there's two. Um, one is to have a love of learning. I think that, you know, my career has definitely evolved, especially if you consider I started as an aerospace engineer at Notre Dame and <laughs> wow. ended up at, with a marketing degree. So, And I also learned, you know, not just to love learning, but to be able to deal with adversity because... I went to Notre Dame. I, I wanted to work for NASA, and I wanted to get this aerospace degree. And when that didn't work out so well for me, I had to learn how to, okay, you fail, you pick yourself up, you try again, you find something else. And I think that has served me very well in life because you have to be able to take a risk and know that that might end up in failure and then be able to brush yourself off and do it again. <laughs> And so what did your time here, what did it mean to you? When I talk to student-athletes after they graduate and I do follow-up stories, the time just seems to fly by. But, boy, when you ask them how special it was and what their time here meant, boy, they, they can't say enough, can't give Notre Dame enough praise. Yeah, it's crazy. This year is actually my 25th reunion um, from Notre Dame, which, unfortunately, I won't be able to make it back to because my daughter graduates high school the same weekend. Oh, jeez. Um, but I feel like every time I come back to Notre Dame, it's home. Like, all the experiences, all the memories, it just seems like it was yesterday, you know. And, you know, I played inner hall sports. I wasn't, you know, a varsity athlete by any stretch. But I feel like, you know, classroom experiences and the camaraderie of playing on a team. I mean, everything I learned at Notre Dame definitely made me the person I am today. I mean, I think if I would have gone to school somewhere else, I would not have been on the same path that I am today. So I owe it all to Our Lady. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Uh, so let folks know where they can find you, where they can find your book. Uh, just kind of give give folks the roadmap on how to get to your work. 
Absolutely. The website for the book is themenwebecamenz.com. And if anyone wants a signed copy, there's a button on the website that you can click, and that'll get you directly to me so I can personalize it for you, and I offer free shipping. So um, I encourage people, if they want a book, to reach out to me. And it's also, I'm on Facebook, and it's the same, The Men We Became, and the and Twitter is Four Leaf Clover Girl. So reach out to me, say hi. I love meeting new people. And the new book that I'm working on is not just going to have football. I'm expanding to other sports. So I currently have a handful of football players, but I have three basketball players, two hockey players, two baseball players, and a student manager for the football team. So if anyone has any requests of who they want me to interview for the new book, send them my way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I know when we were chatting, you talked about how you wanted to kind of diversify a little bit. So so good for you. I'm, I'm looking at my autograph copy right here. All right, Rags, yeah. cue the music. Here we go. Rapid fire time for you, Lisa. All right. I'm just going to fire off about 15 questions, short and sweet. Here we go. Favorite Notre Dame football player of all time? The Rocket. Best mm-hmm. Notre Dame football player of all time? Oh, my goodness. Uh, John Hewitt. Most memorable Notre Dame football game for you? Penn State Snow Bowl in 1992. Your favorite vacation spot? Anywhere there's a beach. <laughs> Who will Notre Dame's leading rusher be this season? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I think that's still undetermined. <laughs> Do Will they have a 1,000-yard rusher? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you made that 400-mile trip from St. Louis to South Bend? Countless. <laughs> <laughs> will Brian Kelly ever coach in the NFL? Yes. Will Brandon Wimbush start every game this season? No. Your preference, cats or dogs? Dogs. If you had to eat the same meal for every meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, Mexican food, I think. Yeah, I agree there. Best (laughs) Notre Dame coach of all time? Lou Holtz. How many games will Notre Dame win this season? Ten. Will you watch the royal wedding? (laughs) No, I'm volunteering a food drive. (laughs) <laughs> I've got, I've got, I've got one. I've got okay. one. Go ahead, Yanni or Laurel? Oh boy, Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I heard too. Just so you know, Lisa. Well, you certainly gave us great insight on what it's like for student athletes on campus uh, over the last decade or so, and uh, we really wish you the best of luck with your new book. Uh, and uh, we can't wait to see it on shelves. Of course, you can get it at Amazon.com. Her two other books, uh, Echoes from the End Zone, The Men We Became, and More Echoes from the end zone. She seemed to have all the Notre Dame answers ready to go in her pocket there, Todd. Uh, the standard <laughs> 10 wins, Lou Holtz, you know, all those uh, ones that she seemed to be asked before in her lifetime. Yeah, Maybe. probably so. <laughs> Lisa, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk again real soon, okay? Thanks, I appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, thanks, Lisa. Well, that's Lisa, and she was fantastic. I, I really, a lot of great insight there. You know, it'd be great if every campus 
Todd had someone like her so we could refer to the other students specifically. Uh, what's it like at Duke? And what's it like? So all these college campuses, <laughs> they, should, uh, they should invest in getting someone in there so we could see what the difference is from these other schools. I like how she put the book together because they're all, you know, it, it doesn't all just flow in as one. They're all separate stories and separate people. They all have their different takes on what Notre Dame was like. And then, you know, and they're all very well done, very well written, but it just gives you so many voices. And that's why I really appreciate it about the book. And that's why I was glad we could get Lisa on the show. All right, we'll do it again next week. We promise we'll be here. The Blue Gold Report uh, podcast is brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Remember uh, to uh, find us anywhere you download podcasts. uh, And, of course, share us, rate us, and do everything you can to make sure everybody knows about us. Todd, talk to you next week, my friend. All right, thanks, Rags. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.